pastored PCA churches in Illinois for 20 years prior to the work that he's in now. He is uh, with Front Row Coaching. So if you were in Sunday school, you'll know what all that means. <laughs> Jim. Thank you, Bob. And it is good to be with all of you this morning. I told the folks in Sunday school, uh, if I recall rightly, I think this is our third visit uh, to fellowship. Might have been here once for Presbytery as well, I think, a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, So we're going to take a look this morning at Genesis chapter 11. And uh, you may be thinking, uh, Jim, this is the week after Easter. There should be something, you know, from New Testament, right? Follow up to Easter. Well, I think we're going to get there. I think we're going to get there this morning. Um, This is, in fact, uh, I think, a a wonderful passage um, in terms of the ingenuity of man. All of the bright ideas that you and I have uh, for ourselves and for others. Um, And so I'm encouraging you to take yourselves and put yourselves back in these days after uh, God rescued mankind through Noah, his family, and the flood. Uh, That was a work of rescue. And this is now what God's people, the family of Noah, did with this. Genesis chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly They used brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, or Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. It was 1981, and Susan and I had just begun ministry in a church plant in one of the Chicago suburbs. And part of the responsibility as a church planter in the PCA in those days was to take part in what was called the Church Planters Conference. And on that particular uh, year, uh, the conference was held at Covenant College, up there above the clouds. And if you've been there, it is a beautiful, beautiful site. 
But I will tell you, in the summer of 1981, uh, the biggest part of Carter Hall was not air-conditioned. And we were staying in Carter Hall. And so there were, there were features of that week, uh, week-long conference that were not as attractive. The air conditioning was only the one part. But the other part, uh, we'd grown up in Illinois. We'd grown up in Illinois. And we talk like people from Illinois. And that week, the key Bible teacher, uh, such a godly gift to the church, was Frank Barker from Briarwood Presbyterian Church. And in our estimation, uh, Frank spoke with a little bit of, a, of an accent. And we knew that he was speaking English, but, but my wife could not understand a single word that he said. And uh, when I read this text, I'm reminded of that, that we speak what we call a common language, but sometimes we don't understand each other. Uh, I don't think what happens in the U.S. is exactly what happens here in Genesis chapter 11, but it gives us a window into it. Um, We went back recently to Illinois, and we spent time. uh, It was my wife's father that died, and so... There was a, a, uh, a visitation, which is very customary back there, and hundreds of people. My, he was a high school band director. So hundreds of people came through the visitation. And um, they told us, uh, Susan and me, that we are from the South. And I, I don't hear it hardly at all. I can hear it this morning, though, in a way. Like being here for 25 years, it's made a difference in the way that I talk. I work with people from overseas. I I have a client who's from Chile. I have a client who is from Bavaria. Uh, And fortunately, they speak English, and they sometimes speak it better than I do. Um, But this whole thing of language, the ability to communicate with one another, uh, is something that we need to live in such a way that we actually fulfill the second great commandment that we love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, But there's an obstacle. There's an obstacle, and we're responsible for it. So this morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 11. I confess that uh, I do not move real uh, clearly from point to point. So there's going to be a kind of migration through these three points. The first one is going to be the occasion of Babel. Uh, The second is the problem of Babel, and the third is God's redemption of Babel. So to begin, the whole world had one language and a common speech. And I, I've, I've already given a little bit of an insight into this, but, you know, when we move, when we move down here, a common language and a common Actually, it's a vocabulary is the force of this word, a common vocabulary. So we moved down on a Saturday. On Monday, Susan drove our kids to school for the first time, and it, it was overwhelming. We, we moved. Our, our previous church had been in Delaware, and so we moved ten and a half hours, and none, you know, no friends for the kids, and it was overwhelming for Susan. 
And uh, she was crying, might have been sobbing, as uh, she was driving away from the school. And the road that she was on was not particularly wide, and there was a pothole on the side, and she hit that pothole. And she actually bent the frame of the, the rim of the tire. And so, you know, like two days into our, uh, into our sojourn in western North Carolina, and we're already at the mechanics. And he told us that he's going to swap out the rim. Now, I'd never heard about swapping out a rim. I'd heard about replacing a rim. We knew that we were in a foreign land. Now, here's the thing that's so, uh, that's so important for us to see. None of that was happening at this time. In fact, if you just go back a couple of chapters, there's, a, there's an understanding we have. It, it's not that we go back all the way to Genesis chapter 2 with all the peoples of the earth, but, but all of the peoples on the earth are direct descendants of Noah. It's an extended family now. It's been several generations, but everybody is of the family of Noah. Noah, his sons and daughters-in-law, taught all of these people how to speak. Our granddaughter is uh, 19 months old. Uh, She talks a lot. I I mean, she talks a lot, discernible words. It's just stunning. Uh, And she listens to her parents, and she picks it up. That's how we acquire language. Right? We pick it up. So the words that you use in your home are the words that your kids become accustomed to, and that's how they learn to speak. And not only the words, but also the inflections. Right? We, we, uh, we love to camp uh, on Lake, uh, on, I'm sorry, Watauga Lake. It's not Lake Watauga, it's Watauga Lake. We love to camp there. And we go down into Elizabethton, to eat at Pals. It's Elizabethton. But we were up in Pennsylvania uh, a weekend ago for uh, the uh, funeral of a close family friend, and there it's Elizabethtown. Now, that's not all that big a difference. But what we're saying, what, what Moses is communicating is, There was none of that kind of differentiation. People understood each other. There's no confusion about the language, about the vocabulary, the inflection. It was all the same. And so as the the family of Noah enlarged and enlarged, they left the area of the mountain, Ararat, and they settled in various places, and there was a bunch of them. that landed in what we would now recognize as Babylon, as Iraq. And there was a plain that was uh, linked to the great rivers. And it was, a, it was a nice place to land. Not quite as nice as Newland, Frostnor, but it's still a nice place to live. And as they were establishing themselves there, They said, let's make 
bricks and bake them thoroughly. Now, what you may recognize if you're in the building trade is there's a difference between sun-baked bricks and kiln-dried bricks. Kiln-dried bricks are much more substantial. The the uh, durability of kiln-dried bricks uh, much, much uh, greater. And the reason for the note now, who is Moses writing for? He's writing to the people who have ultimately landed in Palestine. And construction there is not of bricks, it's of stone. And so that's the reason. Basically, it's like a margin note that Moses has included here just so that they would understand this is what these people are building with. Instead of mortar, they're actually using, well, it's the stuff that we use to make macadam. Right? It's tar. And so they're using the tar as a kind of mortar between the bricks, and they are going to build a city that is going to endure. Keep that in mind for a moment. They're going to build a city that endures. And then they, they go on to say, we not only want to build a city, but we want to build a tower, a tower that is memorable, a tower that is part of making a name for ourselves. It's going to reach up to the heavens. And this objective, this goal that they've set for themselves, that we may make a name for, them, for ourselves, is something that's significant. I have a business card. I'm not going to pass one out to everybody. I have a business card. It has my name on it. It promotes my business. There's a name that's attached to it. Some of you probably have business cards as well, right? You're listed in church directory. Your name is there. You're identified by your name. God knows your name. But what's happening here is something more than God giving you a name and being known by name. It's we want to become renowned. We want to make a name that is above every other name. You've heard that before? We want a name that's above every other name. This is something that is a part of our human experience apart from God. My favorite story in the whole of scriptures is the parable of the prodigal. And I I spent a lot of time studying the parable of the prodigal. And if you think about his concern, he wants the money, but he gets the money and he doesn't move next door. Jesus tells us that he leaves for a distant country. What does a distant country get you? Anonymity. I think I heard somebody say that, right? Anonymity. I have no name that I have to live up to. I have no name that I have to live down. I get to make a name for myself. Making a name for myself. Becoming renowned. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the microphone. That's something that's important to me. And it was important to them. It was a problem. Because they 
they had been redeemed, but they'd forgotten their redemption. And they're going to become, well, they're going to make a name for themselves, as it says. Now, is this a problem for God? Yes, it is. Because he has the one name that is above every other name, right? I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh. And the scriptures tell us that God has set his name on it, on us, that ultimately his name is written on our foreheads. His is the name of renown. And God is zealous for his glory. And so this is the problem of Babel or Babel. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord came down. Did he actually physically leave heaven to come down? He didn't need to, right? Because we know that he is omnipresent, simultaneously, everywhere present. But it is, it's a word that intends to communicate that he intervened. He, he didn't leave the people of Babel to themselves. He intervened. And he said about the building project that they had undertaken, if as one people speaking the same language that they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Let us go down again not physically go down, let us intervene and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. God is going to gum up the works. And on the one hand, is he being petty? You know the right answer. He's not being petty. He's not being petty. The, the idea, uh, I think, that comes at first thought is he's protecting his name. He is intervening to protect his name and to maintain its status. But at another level, I'm encouraging you to recognize that he is also protecting the people from a disaster that would be even greater than the conspiracy that they are considering. Have you ever had an idea about something? Uh, and it seems like a good idea at first. Seems like a good idea. Uh, and then you begin to see, no, it's not such a good idea. Um, uh, this happened on more than one occasion for me. I didn't find out it was a good idea. and It wasn't a good idea until after the door had closed. When I, when I left uh, full-time pastoral ministry, this was back in 2004. I've been out for a good long time. Um, but in those days, I didn't, I mean, I was an ordained teaching elder in the PCA. My life's call was to pastoral work. And so we went back to work looking for a church. And there were churches in Pennsylvania that considered us. And there was one in, 
in Ohio that considered us, and there were some, we thought, very fine churches. I'm sure they were very fine churches. Uh, But God, in his own wise providence, closed each door. And it wasn't until much later that we found out that there very likely would have been heartache for us if we'd landed in any one of those situations. I didn't tell you we had um, a son who was at uh, Chapel Hill. We had two kids in high school, and they were well adjusted in their high school situation. They had good friends. They They were contributing in a number of ways, academically and and uh, music and other, and they were well set, they were well situated there. And after uh, the doors closed, we recognized no. God knows what He's doing. We were protected from what we thought was a good idea. They thought it was a good idea, but God protected them. Now, on the face of it, as you think about it, God scattered them. He not only confused their language, he scattered them. Again, protecting them from themselves, and they stopped building the city. Their their bright idea was dashed. And the name of the of the area it became again Babel or Babel. Uh, there are those who regard that babblers uh, came from this usage that is not entirely certain if you look in, um, in lexicons and the rest. There's, it's possible, but it's not determined. But anyway, that is why the, the place is called Babel, because the speech was confused there. God protected them. But he did more than that. He did more than protect them. And I I would have given away the message to some degree if I'd shared the second text that I want to use with you. But I want you to think about Acts chapter 2. Remember what happened in Acts chapter 2? It's when the Holy Spirit comes down on the church. And in the day... You can turn there with me to Acts chapter 2. In the day that that happened... In Jerusalem, there were assembled Jews from all over the known world. And they had come to celebrate the Passover. But they came, as I said, from all over. Um, You see it reflected there in uh, verse 7 and beyond. Um, How is it? Well, the Holy Spirit came down. And those that were there, the disciples, the apostles, began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this is what they said. Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? There would have been a unique dialect for uh, the, the Galileans. Are they not all Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, recipients. Residents of Mesopotamia, which would have been the area of Babel. Judea, Cappadocia, which is Asia Minor, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. 
Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. All this because Jesus came to redeem that which is broken. In Christ, we may speak a different language. As I said, I have clients whose primary language is Spanish and German and all the rest. But we have a common language. Jesus. Right? You uh, use the old form of the Apostles' Creed and you refer to the Holy Ghost. That happens in some places. But more often than not, these days in the U.S., we refer to the Holy Spirit. The words don't matter. We know who we're talking about, and we know who we're talking to. That's the byproduct of redemption. We are, in fact, brothers and sisters, a common faith. Babel has been redeemed. Now, I'm not here today as an advocate for speaking in tongues. That is not my purpose, to be very, very explicit about that. That is not my purpose. But it is to say that the force of the redemption of Jesus touches every part of our existence. It's not just our souls. Right? It is the relation, that is the force of what happened. It wasn't just that God was concerned about them not understanding each other, but he didn't want them to be able to conspire together against him. And I'm going to change the word. It's not conspire. Today, we can collaborate with others who know Christ. Israel told me before the service started that there are actually some, some folks that grew up in a Baptist church that are here this morning. You don't have to identify yourselves. But you know that there are times when Baptists are welcomed into a Presbyterian church and Presbyterians welcomed into a Baptist church and Lutherans sometimes can go to an Episcopal church and sometimes Episcopal, Episcopalians can end up, why? In a community church. And everybody knows Jesus. And everybody's saved by a knowledge of Jesus, the one who went to the cross and died on the cross that we might be saved from our sins. We can collaborate. We can be engaged in missions together, both international, national, and local. We can collaborate. We can cooperate as a result of the redemption that Jesus purchased on the cross. In effect, he undid what we did at Babel. And make no mistake about it, if you and I had been there on the plains of Shinar, we'd have been baking bricks. We'd have been making tar. We'd have been all in. It's a building project that there'd have been no fight in the congregation. We'd have been there. And so that's why even though I wasn't physically there, nevertheless I was there 
and I need to be redeemed from it. There's another portion I'm going to ask you to give consideration to, and this is, you don't have to turn back there, it's, it's very brief. And it's in the book of Revelation, and there are aspects of the book of Revelation that are wonderfully mysterious. But I think this is pretty straightforward. This is Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They're standing in front of the Lamb, called together, God's common people, every nation, tribe, people, and language. And the cooperation that you and I can experience because of the redeeming work of Christ, that cooperation is only going to be all the more extraordinary. We brought our voices together singing the hymns, the doxology, right, the Gloria Patri. We brought our voices together to sing as one. Think about the heavenly choir that you and I will be part of. There will be no hoarseness. Right? Nobody will struggle to catch a particular pitch. Right? Jesus' redemption will work in every way. That we will glory in him, that we will rejoice in him. We will collaborate to glorify him in ways that we can only very faintly imagine today. That's where we're headed because of what he has done. As you think about what's coming up this week, there are plans that you and I have, and some of them are God-honoring, obviously God-honoring. Some of them are, they are good enough things. God has no objection. But sometimes pride becomes a part of what I'm chasing or what I'm expressing. Sometimes it's selfishness and somebody is calling on me to wait in ways that are uncomfortable. And I just as soon not have to have to wait. Uh, these are just marks of the ways that we have been separated from one another by sin. And what God wants to do, as you acknowledge by faith that you are broken and in need of the continuing work of redemption, what God desires to do is to come to you by virtue of the spirit that Christ has sent, that you might, that you might humble yourselves before God and before others and collaborate for his glory. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. It is true. We pray, Lord, more than anything else, that as we have heard your word, that we would apply it today and this week, that we would live out what you have called us to and bring you glory.
We pray it, Jesus, in your great name. Amen.